it's not like filled with dreams anymore. Like build it and they will come. You have to like build it, tell them you built it, incentivize them to come, give them a reason to bring their friends. And then they might in six months. So like give a reason. Remember, and this is why I love church so much and the spirit and the ethos of church is like, remember it's about people and about community. That thing that brings us together is also the very thing that makes social media work. Remember community and what makes it so magical. Welcome to the Center for Congregations podcast. This is a conversation for anyone invested in sustaining and strengthening their faith communities. The Center for Congregations is an Indiana nonprofit that exists because we believe that the work of your congregation is essential. Our mission is to strengthen your congregation, helping you find the right information or expertise for your congregation's needs. We're able to do this work because of the generosity of the Lilly Endowment. everybody. Welcome back to the Center for Congregations podcast. I am Matt Burke, one of the hosts of the Center for Congregations podcast. And with me is one of our new co-hosts, Mackenzie Scott Lewis. Hey, Mackenzie. Hello, Matt. How are you, sir? Doing all right, man. So glad to have you here as a co-host. It's good to be with you, man. I'm a big fan of the work that you have been doing with our podcasts and had the pleasure of being on a podcast to be interviewed one time or two, I guess, and then to be a co-host. This is this is truly a blessing. So thanks for this opportunity. Yeah, man. No, excited to have you here. So for listeners who maybe haven't been listening for a few episodes, Ben Tapper has moved on to bigger and better things. If you're interested in finding out what Ben is up to, you can listen to the tail end of season five, episode three. Ben said a little farewell. And then, of course, episode four, we had Shelly Riggs-Jordan, which is another co-host. And today we've got Mackenzie. So glad to have him here. Mackenzie, why don't you tell folks a little bit about your journey in congregational life, kind of your heart and how that brought you to where you are today? Well, thank you, Matt. First things first is that my journey is a part of who I am. And that journey consists of being born and raised in Anderson, Indiana, and being around sports all my life. My father played, my mom played, my brothers played, we all played. And it led to exposure. And that exposure allowed me to understand what it means to be on a team Mm -hmm. and how to create a team. And as that intersects with my faith and being involved in church is that I was always amazed of how a church was constructed and how everything seemed to just flow very smoothly and easily. But once I got involved, as I grew in my faith and grew, obviously, in my age, I began to understand there was a lot of work going on behind the scenes. Mm. And that just captured my spirit, captured it so much to the point where I really felt like God put me on this earth to take all these differences and bring them together to form a type of unity with respect to one's own individuality. Mm. And I coached college basketball as well as at the Division I level. And I didn't recruit players who were all in the same position or who were all the same height. They all had these unique measurements about themselves, unique skill sets. But what was most important is how to bring them together 
to have a desired outcome. And so I carry that on. I carry that on to after I coached to become equal employment opportunity officer at a university and director of multicultural affairs and led diversity work and inclusion work with organizations and companies and received awards for our work. And that was done in order so that the organization or the company can be better and have a greater impact into the community or the customer or said environment. And as that matriculated in my life, so did the call of God on me. And that call led to becoming a minister and ordained licensed minister of the gospel. And man, still building teams is, is even more interesting on this side of the fence where you are responsible for the help assist in the faith formations of individuals and how they're dealing with life. Mm-hmm. And how does that coexist with the world that we live in today and not drawing them away from the world, but bringing them into the world as their true authentic selves. Mm-hmm. And so I really enjoy that aspect of it. And now with the Center for Congregations, I try to do that as well is to bring people together for greater outcomes. Yeah, absolutely. Awesome. Appreciate that, Mackenzie. And we're not going to make Mackenzie apologize for using sports metaphors because it's part of who he is and part of where he's come from. So is, bring him. Yeah, it's steeped in me, man. But fortunately, <laughs> I was able to go to a school that was very strong academically. And so I have to use other metaphors as well. <laughs> <laughs> that liberal arts education to kick in from time to time. Yeah, there you go. There you go. Well, because podcasting is an audio medium, people may not know how we identify. I identify, as most listeners know, as a Gen X white male, cisgendered. And so just for the audience out there, how do you identify yourself, Mackenzie? Identify myself as a black male and created in the image and likeness of God, mm. but also identify with others who may have other identifiers, right? Mm-hmm. And really accept people just for who they are. Awesome. Appreciate that. Well, Mackenzie, really glad to have you here. Today, our topic is about social media. So we've got a really good interview in a few minutes with Tim Campbell-Smith. But before we get to the interview, how does the topic of social media, digital media show up in your work with congregations in Northwest Indiana, where you're located? Yeah, here in Northwest Indiana, it is a constant. You know, our grants are usually designed to help congregations with their opportunities and challenges. And what I see is a great increase in digital media and different social platforms that congregations are desiring to use. And oftentimes, once they get to understand a particular platform, the next question is, how are they using it? Mm -hmm. Versus setting up a tripod, you put your camera up and you basically are just having the same thing as if you were in person, but how are you relating to the individuals that are online in a more systemic way, in a more meaningful way, so that they can feel included. Mm -hmm. And so that has increased tremendously. Matt, as you well know, since COVID forced people to get in, but we have many organizations or congregations that were doing it before COVID, and now they're trying to step up their game even more by hiring a digital pastor or social media pastor and things of this nature. So resourcing those congregations and providing them with tools so that they can have a greater presence on social media is probably the top two or three subject areas here in Northwest Indiana. Oh, wow. 
Okay. Yeah, it's been a topic that, especially as we've done education, it's been a topic that has drawn a lot of people to events. We've had a lot of events around social media, so we've definitely seen a lot of interest. And we also have seen in the Northeast part of Indiana, grants related to, you know, purchasing training, education, sometimes even certain platforms that cost. So there definitely is an increasing interest in it. The thing for me is that some of that interest seems to be from people who don't necessarily, they know social media is a thing Mm -hmm. and they know it helps some people. And so they want to be a part of it, but they don't necessarily have a sense of how to step into that world. That's been my sense. I mean, you know, most congregations are, I don't use the term derogatorily, but most congregations are small, you know, within, I think 90% of congregations in the world are under a hundred members. And Mm -hmm. so we have a lot of smaller congregations in Indiana that are potentially interested in using social media, but just not necessarily sure how or why it's going to help them. They have a sense that it will, but just not sure what it will do for them or even how to engage in it. And so I think Mm -hmm. there's an understanding of basics that needs to happen in congregations. I agree with you 100%. And I will also add that most congregations aren't set up for the success that will come out of being on a particular platform, the increased number of listeners or viewers and Mm -hmm. them asking questions in the chat and it just explodes. And then now how do you manage that success becomes critical as well. Yeah, that raises a great point, Mackenzie, that so many endeavors that congregations step into, and I remember this when we did a bunch of research into websites, Mm -hmm. and congregations would step into web developments and get all these bells and whistles, but they hadn't really thought through what it takes to sustain and actually utilize what they were purchasing. And I think that's a good caution here as well for social media and digital media and streaming, things like that, that not only do you need to learn and step into it, but be prepared to be able to use it well and Mm -hmm. to allow it to grow. Make sure you have structures in place that are going to allow it to become successful. It's just really important to build the structures in place or at least have a sense of what you might need going forward. Absolutely. And that building, Matt, is kind of like what we're doing when we're assisting congregations, right? Mm -hmm. Is to help them build what they're called to build right? Mm -hmm. It's their ministry and not ours. And so we're coming alongside them to provide them with the resources necessary to get that done. And the caution to the wind for me in this is it doesn't have to be complicated, Mm. right? It doesn't have to be that the building is so arduous that you can't even enjoy the benefit of the success, right? Mm -hmm. So the whole issue of capacity and efficiency and doing only your part and not trying to go overboard uh, in terms of Mm -hmm. purchasing of equipment or one's reach and things of this nature. You know, that's what we try to consult with them. But if you want to reach really high, of course, go for Mm -hmm. it, right? But know thyself. Mm, Absolutely. All right. Well, hey, let's go ahead and get to the interview. We had a lot of fun with Tim Campbell-Smith, who's a digital marketer and strategist. And so he is up next.
Hey everybody, welcome back. We have with us Tim Campbell-Smith, who is a real firecracker, someone that I have already just enjoyed talking to a lot. And he actually is our second Canadian guest we've had on the podcast. We had Kaylee Swigard, and Kaylee said, you need to meet my friend Tim. And I'm so glad that she made that introduction. So Tim, thank you so much for being on our podcast. Thank you so much for having me. We're going to have fun. This is going to be great. Absolutely. So Tim's specialty is in kind of digital marketing and social media. And that's one of the things that we were interested in speaking to him about because social media is such a big topic for congregations. And Tim, I'd love to start with maybe some myth busting about social media, because I think a lot of congregations, especially that are trending a little bit older, think it's some kind of magic bullet or magic pill that's going to solve all their problems with connections with young adults or with millennials or Gen Z. Can you speak to that a little bit? Yeah. Oh, where do we start? Do we have 20 hours to talk about myths? Um, (laughs) I, I think I have that much storage space on my drive. Let's go for it. Excellent. Okay. Oh, you know what? Here's my most passionate one just for churches. This is a hill I will die on. But so many, I hear churches and actually we hear this in business as well, where organizations say like, we got to get young people to do the social media, right? They know Instagram, they know TikTok. And I say, absolutely not. You know, social media, especially in churches, belongs to your storytellers. Take it from me. You can learn Instagram in 20 minutes. You can learn TikTok in half an hour. Storytelling is an art. That is a craft. Mm -hmm. So if anything, any churches that I've worked with, talked to, anytime I visit, I say, you know, your little ladies who sit in the back and they talk through the whole service and they are reading people for filth and they're like seeing what's really going on with the church. Those are the people you give the social media to. That's one myth, as I say, give it to your storytellers. I think the other big myth I'm passionate about, people say like, you know what? And they come to me and say, Tim, we got a Facebook and we got an Instagram. And, you know, Matt, you said it like, what about getting to young people? And it's like, it's, it's not like field of dreams anymore. Like build it and they will come. You have to like build it, tell them you built it, incentivize them to come, give them a reason to bring their friends. And then they might in six months. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> like give a reason. Remember, and this is why I love church so much. And the spirit and the ethos of church is like, remember, it's about people and about community. Mm-hmm. That thing that brings us together is also the very thing that makes social media work. Remember community and what makes it so magical. I can keep going, but I'll stop there with those two. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, Tim, in, in that vein of not having this magical bullet and social media to answer all ills and solve all problems, what has been your experience with congregations who attempt to do that despite hearing, say, for example, the pitch you just gave us, your answer. How do you continue to have them become aware of, actually, you probably want to do it this way? Yeah. I remind everyone it's a journey. Also, I think folks get this idea, and sometimes, you know, I get this idea, and I have to be reminded, like, hold on, be humble. This is something we have to work at over time. It's not something you get right on the first try and then it is smooth sailing to the end. No, it's something you work at. So remember that it's a journey. The other thing, and especially like in the world of digital marketing, there's a lot of different things we can tackle. And a lot of the time we talk about content. So the other big thing I say from a content perspective is I say, try what I call conscious consumption. When you're on social media and you're scrolling through, you know, we all know it's 1030 at night. You should have been asleep an hour ago and you're scrolling through TikTok or Facebook (laughs) or whatever. Take some intentional stock of what you're looking at 
and think about like, why are you sharing what you're sharing? Why do you read what you read? Why do you consume the media that you consume? And then what can you recreate from that? I see this all the time with students. I've seen it with congregations when I say like, what's the last piece of content you share? Actually, hold on. We're going to do this right here, right now. Mackenzie, Matt, what's the last piece of social media content you shared with someone? I'm not on social media hardly at all. <laughs> and Jaden, you might have to edit a very long pause here. <laughs> Let me think about that for a minute. Mackenzie, you can jump in. Well, yeah, I'm kind of in the same boat in terms of actually sharing. Wow. The last thing I shared today was a text. Okay. Right. And what was that text? Why did you share it? It was to confirm that I received some information from the sender. Okay. And I was texting back to say, I did receive it. We were all on the same page. We can move forward. Okay. So classic example, it's part of a larger conversation and there's something you have in common. Relatability, commonality, and humor are the main reasons why we share things. So just think about that. Why do you share what you share? There's a TV show that my partner and I watch and the network for some reason, known only to God and not us, they shortened the show from 90 minutes to 45 minutes. And the show made an announcement saying we're going back to our 90 minute episodes. So I sent it to him and said, like, look, they have listened. It's part of this ongoing conversation. <laughs> and it's kind of funny. It's kind of relatable. And that's why I shared it. And that's what I encourage like congregations to do is think about like, what are you sharing? Why do you engage in the content that you engage? And then how can you recreate that? And I always see the light bulb go off. It always works when you frame it that way. And then, you know, the ideas start flowing from there. That's such a great reminder, Tim, because yeah, that's one of the things that prevents me, I think, in my engagement in social media is because I have this preconceived notion that it's only for these kinds of things. But what you're saying is, no, think about how you utilize it on your own and then how that's transferable to maybe a slightly different context, specifically for the congregation or some other thing. Yes. And always focusing on dialogue. So this is maybe the other problem mm -hmm. I see. I mean, every business has this, organizations, churches, where we focus on just like, what are we posting, posting, posting? But it also requires listening. Notice how I ask you a question and I'm like, I'm going to wait for a response. Sure. You also have to listen to people. So talk to others and listen to them and learn from them. You will be shocked what people are willing to tell you and what they're willing to teach you if you listen. Mm. Mm, well said. In that shocking word that you just used, are there things on digital marketing that we should not share? Congregations should maybe stay away from or be daring and launch into as a result of having this shared platform? Yeah, I think there absolutely are things that like we should and should not talk about, but I think it's up to your congregation to decide in a spirit of bravery, but also of happy, healthy boundaries. There's this term that we throw around in digital where we talk about being authentic. And, you know, are you showing up authentically? Are you authentically representing your congregation? And part of it that kind of stems from this question and this conversation that, you know, we're having day in and day out, people think that authenticity is the same as unabashed honesty. And that is not true. You do not, your church is not obligated to have an opinion and to share that opinion on every single thing that comes to anybody's mind. If anything, I say like find your boundaries and then learn to play within them. So on like a personal level, on my social media, 
On my social media, you will never find me talking about my family and you won't see me talking about my health. Not unless I'm making an example about it. But everything else is fair game. But I know some people, some organizations who say, we will not talk about politics. We will not talk about current events. We will not talk about, you know, whatever they don't want to talk about. Find those limits, find those boundaries, and then learn to play within them. Don't use that, though, to kind of like put barriers around yourself so you're inaccessible and you're not talking about anything. That's why I say do have a spirit of courage and bravery on some things, Mm -hmm. but know that you don't have to say everything all the time. Mm -hmm. That's excellent. Thank you, man. I like that. Yeah. Yeah, and it's a great point because it's going to be specific to different congregations because some are very open about the kinds of things that they share and talk about and others may not be as much and that's okay. Yeah. And I think it also calls for diverse voices because like, I know I've worked with, and especially I'm going to use congregations here, which, and I use congregations as my example in secular organizations as well, where I say like, I'll meet the pastor who says, I really want to talk about current events, but my board absolutely refuses to let me talk about current events. And then there's some people in the congregation who go like, I might leave because my pastor never talks about current events. But there's other people in the church who say, well, no, we shouldn't rock the boat. And this is why we also need like diverse voices to contribute to those discussion of boundaries and to keep having discussions about boundaries and what we talk about online. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm, that's good. Now, Tim, you, even in our short time of knowing each other, your energy leaps through the video. (laughs) And then, and I mean that in the most respectful way, because it's awesome. And then even on paper, when I printed out your bio, it leaped, your energy leaped. Mm -hmm. And you used the term extrovert. How can congregations bring that type of joy, that type of extrovert? Because many of them are, perhaps launching into the digital world for the very first time. And they have their own preconceived notions about what they should do. But can you speak to how you bring that energy, that extrovertness, that joy to what you do? Yeah. And you know what's fun is it's actually a really practical tip that anybody will be able to implement after hearing this. Here's the secret. And it's not that groundbreaking. Okay. Speech to text. I barely write fingers to keyboard. I barely write anything. I speech to text almost everything. And especially if it's going to be public facing. If you look at my website, 95% of that was speech to text. Now you have to edit for grammar. People speak in a way that would drive you bananas reading it. You do have to edit a little for grammar. But speech to text really captures your tone, your voice, and your style. So just speech to text, record it on your phone. If your computer has the feature, speech to text. And I do recommend this, especially for congregations, because it is a community and it lets us get to know like that community and that tone. Speech to text. That's the secret. That is so great. I have never heard that before. That is so great. And can you speak about how that might tie into identifying and utilizing those people who are the storytellers in your congregation for the ways that you get involved in digital media? Yeah. So I think this comes down to like good interviewing and good prompts. So what I would do is I would say, you know, sit down those storytellers and give them really open-ended questions. So a few of my favorites are, tell me what you think is most notable about this church. When you think of this church, what comes to mind? And just let them speak. And ask them about what do you think makes this church great? 
where do you think this church is going? I'm going to lift this one up. It's not going to be for everyone, but I like hard questions as well to integrate it into content and strategic planning. So I would also ask like, where can this church do better? Mm-hmm. Right. So there's a level of self-awareness that it brings an element of strategic planning that you can use, but just give them those open-ended questions. Take anywhere from 20 minutes to an hour, right? You want to respect their time and get as many people to do it and then start to piece together your content from there. So just mm. take that speech to text and start putting it on your website when you can and where you can. Oh, ask them. Hold on. Here's another question. Ask them what their favorite programs are. Something I love about churches and what makes churches a really magical place are just all the different programs and ways you can plug in to find community. Ask them, what do you think are the best programs here? Why? And then get them to come from, because it's not like it's officially written. We have a choir. Our choir meets. Our choir likes this kind of, no, it's going to be like, I think of this woman from First Christian North Hollywood, Mary, and she is just a firecracker of a human, really good storyteller. And she would say, when I first started attending that church, she go, you know why you have to go to the youth group? You know why you have to check out the young adults? Because they do really cool things and they are actually living the gospel. And I was like, why isn't that written on the website? Why is that not written on social media? She just straight up said to me, you know why you need to do this? It's great because, and I wish we did more of that. And it was just so relatable and so human. And that is available to you online as well. Speech to text. That's the secret. <laughs> That's so good because, you know, we see a lot of congregational websites and we don't necessarily see as much of their social media, but just the websites themselves. And you see name, hopefully address, worship times, you know, statement of belief, something like that, which those tell you a lot of facts about the congregation, but they don't really tell you about the community that you might be stepping into. And what you're describing seems like that's a way to really recognize and understand the voice of the community Mm. and some of the uniqueness of it. Yeah. And you know what, Matt, you've just prompted this like giant shift in my thinking of like, you're right. We are often focusing on facts, figures, base details, but we need to focus on what actually makes those facts and figures a thing and what brings us to life. Yeah, that's a really astute observation. That's very true. Thank you. Well, Matt Burke is astute. He is astute. (laughs) That's for sure. (laughs) So Tim, in your experiences with congregations and even in other arenas, what has been those top two or three pitfalls you believe congregations should avoid as they venture not only at the start of this, but even if they've been experienced in digital media and marketing and how they can take it to the next level, what are some of those pitfalls that congregations can avoid? Oh, that's a good one. I think one pitfall is to try and have a point to everything you do. And the point Mm. shouldn't be sit in a pew on Sunday. Sure. Always have a point. So, you know, do you want us to save the post? Do you want us to share it? Do you want us to comment? How do you want us to engage and plug into the community and be part of community that doesn't just involve sitting in a pew on Sunday? Mm -hmm. I'd say that's one pitfall. Oh, a second pitfall? Video. Post more videos. A lot of congregations focus on just like photos and often, God bless them, but they're just taking the newsletter, taking a picture of it and putting it on social media. And I'm like, show us the videos. I want to see a tour of your building. 
I want to see a live streamed service. I would love to see like video testimonials and that kind of thing. So, you know, avoid always relying on just like photos or text and especially text telling people come on Sunday. Sure. Focus on videos that, that gives us something else to plug into. I think those are the two big pitfalls that I would take note of first. That's good. Yeah, and I'm also curious. So I think a lot of congregations are find social media and digital engagement very daunting. And I think part of that is maybe not knowing how to categorize or quantify a win. Like what's a win, right? So if you start a Facebook page, you've never done it before, you get it. And in six months, you've got, you know, 10 likes and 20 followers of a congregation of like 120 people. And that may not seem like much, but I wonder if congregational attitudes towards metrics of, you know, as they say, nickels and noses, (laughs) and, and that leads then into kind of digital media kinds of things. Maybe we're looking at the wrong measures. And what can you do as you dip your toes into social media and into digital media and say, you know, this wasn't a giant impact, but this was a win. What are some of those wins? Oh, gosh. It's totally up to your church's goals. I mean, like, number one, let's deal with the daunting problem. Mm-hmm. What's the best way to eat an elephant? One bite at a time. A lot of people look at social media and think, like, you have to climb the mountain and reach the peak in an hour. No, you do it one step at a time. So I think, actually, you know what I would actually say is, I don't want to prescribe wins or metrics, you know, without getting to know congregations. I will say, though, one win that any church can observe and should celebrate is just doing anything online. Also, because I, even though it's 2023, I love the church, but they're a little bit behind on some of the digital stuff. Just doing anything at this point is a good thing, right? You have to learn how to walk. You have to take baby steps before you can compete in the Olympics. But we should, and again, I don't like shoulds. I don't like need to statements. I think we should celebrate the baby steps just as much as winning the gold medal at the Olympics. Both are fair and valid and important. And then I think your next win might be just measuring anything. Y'all got to know data analysis, measurement. That's like actually my superpower as a digital marketer. That's what I'm really good at and using data to choose directions and to celebrate wins. Most organizations and small ones and churches don't even do that. So just measuring your digital marketing is a win. And then after that, it totally depends on what is most important to you. One church I know in Texas, they simply prioritize the number of people who watch live video streams of the Sunday sermon. It's not coming to church. It's not even donations. It's not reach. It's how many people just watched a video. And I think that's fabulous that they've set that goal, that goal is unique to them, and they're measuring it. I think that is fabulous. So. After that, just make sure to choose digital marketing like metrics that align with what you're and support what you're trying to do as a church. Sure. Yeah. And I appreciate the fact I asked that in a way that seemed like I wanted a very prescriptive response (laughs) and you didn't give one, but I'm glad because that's not what I meant. So that was a perfect answer, Tim. Thank you. Oh yeah. Most people do want a prescriptive answer and in true, like what am I, I am extroverted. I'm also super against prescriptive answers unless I absolutely have to. And I have enough Mm. data and evidence to give a prescriptive answer. I'm like, no, here's some considerations to start. That's what's important. (laughs) Oh, it's perfect. I appreciate it. Yeah. 
Tim, you know, people will list out LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, so forth, TikTok, as a lot of these digital platforms to be a part of. One, I'd like to know what are some of your favorites. And secondly, what do you think the future is when it relates to this digital world that we're in and maybe something new and exciting coming out that you may have heard about that our congregations and lay leaders and pastors and so forth may need to know about? Ooh, that's like three big questions in one. Okay. Uh, (laughs) I'm obsessed with Pinterest and YouTube right now. Now, the only Mm -hmm. problem or something congregations will want to think about before they, you know, run their computer to go on Pinterest or YouTube these platforms struggle to have a local or a geographic focus. Those platforms are designed more for global reach. So just make sure that whatever you're sharing can have a global reach and you're okay with even just looking at reach numbers to see like, oh, we are reaching people all around the world. Uh, but they're great places for ideas and more and more people are going to social media for inspiration and for ideas for whatever they're looking for. So that's also why I'm kind of obsessed with Pinterest and YouTube right now. In terms of like new platforms, we don't really have any new platforms, but one platform churches might want to put on their radar is Mastodon. And the only reason why is because right now the data doesn't actually tell us that people are leaving Twitter because of, in particular, the Elon Musk takeover, because of policy changes. But there is some suggestion that people might be going to Mastodon. So I want to say, if any of you church folks have any extra time, because if there's one group of people who doesn't have extra time, I don't know. Am I out to lunch or do you kind of agree? Like, there's no extra time. Yeah, there's no extra time. No, no extra but time. if you have any extra time, check out Mastodon. Also because it is built and formatted almost like Twitter, almost like a Twitter replica. What I think my prediction, and it's a prediction I'm hearing from other digital marketers as well, I don't know if we're really going to get more or new platforms, but what we are seeing and what I think we're going to see is platforms compete more with each other Mm -hmm. and try to be an all-in-one platform. Now, the best example I can make is probably going to be a little sensitive, especially for an American audience. So don't attach your emotions to my next example, which we're going to talk about (laughs) China. Just come for the journey. But let's talk about WeChat. (laughs) WeChat is the go-to social media platform in China, and WeChat has everything. It was originally designed as an instant messaging app, but now it's where you can find information on restaurants. You can book reservations. You can find out about a business and book a dog walker, and they have payment systems. So you can get paid from your job through WeChat, and you can access your bank account all within WeChat. I think we're seeing, uh, I mean... Elon Musk has come out and said that this is his actual goal for Twitter, is he wants Twitter to be your all-in-one platform. Meta, and before it was Meta, Facebook, Mark Zuckerberg said he wanted that for as well for Facebook. I think that's where we're heading, is these companies are going to try to be an all-in-one platform for people. I don't think that's going to work, though, because we also have all these platforms. They all have a very specific niche and reason why they exist. LinkedIn is great for professionals. Instagram is great for visual sharing, especially of past moments. But Pinterest is fabulous for ideas. So mm-hmm. there might be some diffusion, like where we don't use, we know, like, for example, I believe the stat right now is that the average social media user has 6.7 profiles. That number might come down, but it's not going to only become 
one, where we only go to one platform. But I think we're moving in a direction where platforms will try to be like an all-in-one encompassing experience for consumers. That's fascinating. Right? I mean, I still think, though, we're light years from that because, like, it was 2018 or 2019 that Facebook, it was Facebook at the time, they weren't Meta yet, announced that they wanted, like, money to be sent through Meta. It would be encrypted like WhatsApp. And so Meta would just know that, like, two people were transferring money between each other. They wouldn't know how. They wouldn't know how much. They wouldn't know any banking details. At least in Canada, we still don't have this. And I don't think you have it in the U.S. either, if I'm correct, or it's very limited. So, like, we're still waiting on a lot of these features. Yeah. What do you think about that idea? I mean, a lot of other digital marketers are talking about it, but, like, I'm always curious. What do non-digital marketers think about that concept? About everything being on one platform? Uh, Yeah, about social media being, like, an all-in-one encapsulating thing. My first thought was, do you know your audience? And that sometimes creating that story or that connection through a story is knowing your audience. And the all-in-one platform struck me as, okay, this is plausible, but in practice, will it be very effective in creating a sense of relationship Mm -hmm. on the platform? Because uh, you remember back in the day when, at least in our home, it was just a stereo. (laughs) It was just one thing. And then as time went on, multiple things were added to it. And it was just, and so if the tape deck, and I'm really dating myself, if the tape deck went out, then you couldn't play your turntable because it had to go, the whole thing had to go Mm -hmm. to the shop, right? And so what I see is that at this one platform, if something goes wrong or if there's a virus in one area, it can spread through all the areas of that particular platform and so it'd be interesting. That's, those are my initial thoughts. Yeah, Matt, what about you? What do you think about that? Well, I will note, Mackenzie, at least you didn't say 8-track. So at least <laughs> you did talk about cassettes, but you didn't mention 8-track. So that's good. <laughs> well, I think different platforms have different personalities. And I think it would be hard to try to get everybody on the same page with that. I mean, I'm not a social media person, but I say that, but I'm on Discord. And Discord is, I guess that's social media. Yes, it is. Okay, yeah. And I have good friends around the world that I've known since I was in college that we spend a lot of time interacting and engaging. But again, it's not that initial mindset of like what I think of when I do social media. Like I don't send them pictures of my breakfast. (laughs) I don't, you know, send them metrics for my most recent run, things like that. And some people in their friend group, it's completely fine and everybody appreciates that. That's just not the relationships that I'm in, right? But going back, you asked me the last thing I posted, I think it was a meme to my friends who were on Discord. And so I find it hard to believe that the appeal of all of the different platforms could be brought together in one location and it could serve all of those purposes. I just don't know if that could really ever happen. Agreed. Yeah. And especially like, you know, every platform has like an ethos or a core part. And a lot of those like those core essences of those platforms are very different. So like, for example, one that's always struck me, it's so fascinating. The reason why LinkedIn, you know, got acquired by Microsoft for so much money, why it's still a top platform is the honesty. People are more honest on LinkedIn than they are any other social media platform. Like, how would you ever get people to be that honest as they are on LinkedIn on say Facebook or actually let me go with a more extreme example, Twitter. How could you get them to be that honest, right? But it also comes down to, like, what does that platform serve? Well, LinkedIn is about professional networking and getting a job. You don't want to lie. 
you do not want to lie when you're heading into professional spaces. So yeah, it would be difficult to, to translate them. Also, I don't think it's going to be successful, but I think those businesses are going to prioritize their bottom dollar and being the best business. And that's why they're going to go in that direction. Mm-hmm. It's a really fun question to think about though. Right? Tim, we're going to have to have you back. Like there are so many pathways that have opened up for me and thoughts that I have thinking about like ethics. You brought up Mastodon and you know, the ethical values of certain companies and how some of them, like you said, they have a different reason for being. Some of them, they exist because they want to be ethical and not algorithm driven. Sorry, I'm already just jumping into the tangents. I need to back away. (laughs) But as we come to the close of this interview, this one, hopefully we'll have another one in the not too distant future. Where can folks find you or follow you on social media or in digital spaces? What a great question. So I am most active on Instagram and LinkedIn at Tim Campbell SMS. I also have a YouTube channel where we have more conversations like this. And it's still at Tim Campbell SMS is the best place. I do have a website, but it's not interactive. And I prefer actual conversations with humans. So, yeah. That's awesome. That's awesome. And that's one of the reasons why I like social media. And I hope people can learn, as you said, to be dialogical on it. Yeah, man, he just brought up another subject to talk about with him in the near future is websites versus social Mm -hmm. platforms and where that is going. That would be really great conversation. Yeah. Now, that is one that I have a lot of strong feelings on. (laughs) A lot of strong feelings. And I'm just, I'm going to say this about that. It's not versus. And it's not either or. They both serve a purpose and a function. But are you in tune with the purpose and function of either? Are you using them to the best of their ability and leaning on your community? And I'll leave that as a teaser. Maybe we'll make that a topic for our next conversation. (laughs) Yes. I love it. I love it. That is perfect. Well, hey, if you want to hear more from Tim, he's actually coming to do a couple of education events with the Center for Congregations, March 14th at 1130 a.m. Eastern Time and March 22nd at 7.30 p.m. Eastern Time. These are both going to be in Zoom meeting, so you'll be on camera and voice with Tim. If you are hearing this podcast after March of 2023, don't worry, we are recording these and we will have these available. So you can email us at podcast at centerforcongregations.org and request a link to the recording, and we'd be happy to share that with you. So Tim, it has been an absolute joy to speak with you, and I genuinely want to do it again before too long. So I'd love to have you back. Oh, thank you so much. Y'all have been just gems. So thank you, thank you, thank you. I look forward to more conversations. Absolutely. And we're looking forward to those education events coming up. So thanks very much, Tim. Thanks, friends. Thank you. Tim Campbell-Smith. I have to say his full name because I'm trying to capture, Matt, the fullness of all that he has communicated with us in this podcast, man. What an awesome time. I felt like, I don't know about you, you can tell me, but when our time was up, I was like, we're done already? Mm -hmm. Yeah, just a wealth of knowledge and so much energy, as you rightly pointed out during the interview. It was a lot of fun. It was a great conversation. Yeah, it was really, really great. Speaking of a great and, and energy, what were some of the things that you pulled from our time with Tim? Yeah, I appreciated his focus on the fact that social media is meant, and I don't think he said it exactly like this, but it's meant to be just that. It's meant to be social. And social means give and take, means back and forth, means mm-hmm. communication. 
And so I think even for me personally, that helped reframe the way I think about social media, because in my mind, it's just kind of, you know, all of us shouting into the void, (laughs) sharing, you know, (laughs) pictures of random things and thoughts and ideas. But his point is, no, it's actually at its most beneficial, it's creating a community where people are together and sharing things together. And Mm -hmm. I just thought that was a really profound reframing, at least for me. Yeah. What about for you? What stood out from the conversation for you? Oh, there's a couple of things and it is in line with what you're saying. The first thing is that most people will run off and say, hey, we need to get the young people to lead our digital platforms, right? And to go into this next iteration of congregational life in a digital way. And he says, no, you should find the best storyteller. Mm -hmm. And that storyteller Uh, to your point about it being relational, that that was an aha because a lot of congregations will say, hey, this is our way of getting the young and young adults involved in the church. And obviously that takes place. But the fact that you want the best storyteller is to say that we want people to be able to connect. So it's one thing from being on, there's quite another thing from being on and connecting. Mm-hmm. And that really stood out to me in this idea of a social party online, mm. that the party never stops, that the party <laughs> is always going on and we are more acute to measuring versus just experiencing mm-hmm. the things that are going on online. And I just really appreciated the idea of this party as a type of common fun that you can have as a result of telling your story online. Yeah, yeah. A shout out to St. Michael Lutheran Church here in Fort Wayne. They started a podcast, but their whole thrust behind it was just a podcast for the congregation. Like it wasn't created in order to be something that would grow and expand, but just another opportunity where they could share announcements, where they could, you know, talk Mm -hmm. about topics, things that were going on in the community or things that were going on in the congregation. And that was another key moment for me about reframing how I think about digital media. Because again, I often think about big reach worldwide, gathering and growing an audience, et cetera, et cetera. Right. But to your point, you know, they did it in order to strengthen the community that they already had. And it probably will have more benefit to them down the line. But if it doesn't, that's okay, right? Like they have this thing that they have that's just another way of being together as their community that already exists. Mm -hmm. And I just thought that was such a a great starting point and a great goal to have for something like that that I think translates into other types of media and social and digital media. Mm. Yeah, that's a great point, Matt, because I think even though he had some of his favorites, right, it intersect all different social media platforms, right? The, the points mm-hmm. that he was making. And the other thing that really stood out to me, he said, speech to text. So mm-hmm. the fact that to create this level of engagement, no matter what platform you on, practice or always say it, record it, and let it translate into text, mm-hmm. right? And the point there that I got is that it will make it more authentic, make it more mm-hmm. alive, more engaging, because you can have very passive online experiences, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, you can go pay a bill online. That's pretty passive, right? And, and stoic. Or you can have the type of experiences that he was talking about that was highly engaged, highly authentic, but also bring a type of style, joy, and energy to it. Mm-hmm. It was mm-hmm. really cool. 
Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and to the point of how it builds increased community, I have a question for you because I am not at all qualified to discuss it. <laughs> and I am interested in you sharing, because some people may not even know what it is, but talking about Black Twitter, uh-huh. because it's its own thing. And this is not a separate platform. This is not a different Twitter than the Twitter that's out there, but it's kind of gained this name. Can you explain to maybe people who don't know the phenomenon of Black Twitter? Well, I'll try to explain it as best I can. There's a woman in... University of Virginia, who is writing a book. I don't know if this book is out just yet, but we'll check that on Black Twitter. And as you can well imagine, Black Twitter got started because of on Twitter, a lot of the stories that were posted, a lot of the things that people were saying did not necessarily relate to Black life, Black culture, African life or African culture and so forth and so on. And so Black Twitter was formed so that those voices can get out, so that people can comment on things that really matter. For example, in a news cycle, say that a Black male was murdered by a police officer and that Black male was unarmed. And the main news media is going to have its cycle and then it's going to cycle out. Right. Hmm. With Black Twitter, they can keep the conversation alive. They can keep people engaged. They can provide resources to people who are dealing with trauma, Hmm. for example, because they have heard another Black life being taken away. And so Black Twitter, it is really strong. It is Hmm. a voice. It's kind of like I'm being overly simplistic with this and, and the experts in Black Twitter can explain it a little better than I can. It's like being in a place where you're walking, another person is walking towards you, and there is a head nod. And that head nod is, what's up? You're safe. I respect you. I see you. Mm -hmm. Uh, What's going on? It's a conversation with just a simple head nod. Mm -hmm. And Black Twitter creates this space where these conversations or these head nods can continue. And it's in the language and the flavor that Black Americans and Africans from all over the world can relate to. Mm-hmm. So that's the best way I can I can describe that. Yeah. No, I appreciate that, Mackenzie. And I think to bring it back down to, you know, congregational thought and congregational life, I think it illustrates the strength of what social media can do. And like you talked about, creating a space of belonging, right? That's right. And there are many, many different ways of belonging in our culture, Of course, there's, you know, around race and ethnicity, there might be around gender identification, but also, you know, theological persuasion and, you know, your geographical background, right? There are places where there are elements that are important to each of us where we can find belonging with others in digital spaces that can be really powerful. And I think if congregations could tap into that, that could be a really powerful, I don't want to say tool because that makes it sound like a marketing thing and it's not. (laughs) It's a really powerful (laughs) ministry. It's a really powerful place to take care of other people that we don't often think about. That's right. Yeah, that's a beautiful summary of this conversation, whether we're talking about Black Twitter or we're talking about other social media platforms. I do know that Black Twitter was organically, it just kind of came to being, right? Out of a need, out of a sense Mm -hmm. of belonging. And is that what we really desire in life? Is the sense that we belong, a sense that Mm -hmm. we are seen, a sense that we are heard. And I would take it a step further, a sense that we are valued. Right. Mm -hmm. And that value allows us to see our own self-worth and see the worth 
within others. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. To be just unabashedly self-referential. <laughs> <laughs> Episode four of the Center for Congregations podcast, we talked with Dr. Winterborne Harrison Jones, who talked about physical space mm. being a place where by use of liturgy and physical space, how you develop a sense of belonging. And it was a really powerful thing. And so it's interesting, complete serendipity, but these podcasts back to back, we're kind of talking about doing it in physical space, but also doing it in digital space, which is really cool. So if you haven't listened to episode four with Dr. Winterborne Harrison Jones, it's a really fun interview and a good conversation there as well. That's good stuff. All right. Well, hey, why don't we move into resources? So I've already mentioned one. You can go back and check out another of our episodes of the podcast. But Mackenzie, what resources or resource do you have for folks regarding social media? One of the great resources that you can go to for social media, it's an article on 14 live streaming tools to win over the masses. It's a collection that has just been updated and our CRG is the CRG.org that you can get that and is under Pastor Gabby. And she's an expert in uh, social media communications and things of this nature. And and so she has a resource there called 14 Live Streaming Tools to Win Over the Masses. And really does, it kind of breaks down some of the things that you can do pretty cost easy as well. So I highly recommend that. And then some of the other types of resources that are part of this collection will be really good to hone in on. What about you, Matt? Is there another one that comes to mind? I know you mentioned one great one just a second ago. Yeah, (laughs) a great one as we talk about our our own work. (laughs) Absolutely. (laughs) It is a fantastic one. It's a a must listen if I do say so. (laughs) Yeah, no, but another one that might be good is Social Media Guide for Ministry, What It Is and How to Use It. It's a little bit of an older book. It's from 2013, but it's by a guy, Neil Smith. I've been thinking about getting him on as a podcast guest or a presenter for the Center for Congregations, but it's basically written by a social media pastor. He is a social media pastor, and it makes the case for viewing social media as helpful Mm -hmm. as a congregational tool and provides a lot of tips and really good for any kind of faith tradition out there. So again, that is something you can find on the CRG. That's our Congregational Resource Guide, thecrg.org. You can go to that site anytime you want and search really any search terms. It's resources that we have curated over the last, gosh, that's been in existence for five, six years now, I think. Mackenzie's Yeah, that's right. Yes. Yeah. So we're constantly finding new resources and posting those up to the CRG. And again, these are not resources that are paying us money to be posted. These are not resources that we're in relationship with. These are things that Center for Congregations consultants have independently found and just believe that they're helpful. And that's why we put them out there on the website, on the CRG. So feel free to check out The resources we've mentioned, we'll put those in the show notes, as well as just check out the CRG in general. Uh, Remember, we do have Tim Campbell-Smith coming in to do some education events in March of 2023 for the Center for Congregations. These are free online events. You can find those at centerforcongregations.org. If you are listening to this podcast after March of 2023, but you're interested in seeing the recordings of those education events, you can reach out to us at podcast at centerforcongregations.org. Definitely want to take this opportunity to thank the Lilly Endowment for their tremendous generosity to make this possible, not just our podcast, but the Center for Congregations overall and their immense work throughout the world as it comes to religious work and conversations. So thank you, Lilly, for all that you do. Very much appreciate that. Also, just want to mention that this episode has been edited by Jaden Lee. Thank you, Jaden. 
And also, if you enjoyed this podcast, we'd ask you to rate and review us on iTunes or Spotify or wherever it is that you're listening to this. That's the best way to make sure we get boosted in those algorithms and other people are able to find it. Also, feel free to just share it with anybody that you know that might find it useful. Also, we would love to hear from you. If you have ideas for speakers, if you have resources around things that we've discussed or topics that you would like us to tackle or any feedback whatsoever, you can email us at podcast at centerforcongregations.org. Mackenzie and Shelly and I would love to hear from you. We will be back in two weeks for another podcast episode. I am Mackenzie Scott Lewis. And I'm Matt Burke. Thanks, everybody, for listening. 